Good morning again. I wonder, have you ever discovered something that you wish you didn't know? Like you had something that somebody told you and said, man, ignorance really was bliss. Maybe you were given a job or a challenge or some sort of um, task was thrusted on you that you didn't ask for, and, and you realize what a huge weight it is. You know, there's a, a new Lord of the Rings series out. I haven't watched it yet, so I don't have an opinion on it yet. But I was reminded recently of one of my favorite moments in the Lord of the Rings saga. It happens in the first book or the first movie between this guy Frodo and Gandalf. Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. Essentially the same thing. I, I wish that this had happened to someone else at another time. And then the wise, ever-wise Gandalf replies, uh, so to everybody. So does everybody who lives through such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And that same thing was true for Frodo in that fictional story. And I think it's true for you and for me. We don't get to choose our time in human history. Wouldn't that have been nice? You know, before you were born, God would have consulted you. Where and when would you like to be born? But that didn't happen for me, and I don't think it happened for you either. And the truth is, we have been put in a time in human history where it is difficult. Now, some things aren't. We have indoor plumbing, modern medicine, power, computers. Lots of things are good. But there are some challenges, especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Uh, Dr. Soon Chong Ra mentions one particular challenge. And he says, in the year 1900, Europe and North America comprised 82% of the world's Christian population. By 2050, African, Asian, and Latin American Christians will constitute 71% of the world's Christian population. Which isn't all bad news, it's great news for the way the gospel has gone out to Africa, Asia, and Latin America. But what it does mean is things are radically changing in the West, in America, and in Europe. In 2022, there was a Barna research study which indicated that nearly half of American adults found themselves uncertain or they outrightly rejected pastors as a trustworthy source of wisdom. Which isn't great for me, <laughs> especially right now, um, for the next 35 minutes, but that's reality. And then finally, the Pew Research Group did a, a study back in 2015, and they found the fastest growing category of Americans when it comes to faith are known as the nuns, not N-U-N-S with the habit. Nuns, those who indicate none of the above when asked about their personal religious affiliation. It isn't just the landscape when it comes to faith, it's the landscape when it comes to, to life. In 2014, the U.S. Surgeon General said the most prevalent health issue in the country is not cancer or heart disease or obesity. It is isolation. And that was six years before COVID. That was eight years ago. I think things are predominantly worse. So you list out things like isolation and anxiety, depression and addiction, suicidal ideation. And who doesn't know someone who isn't there today or has been there recently. See, we are living in a challenging, maybe even a crisis time, which is why today we're going to begin a new series of messages entitled, A Living Hope 
in a hostile world. Because I think that we are people who are desperate for hope right now, whether it's in terms of isolation or suicidal ideation, when it comes to challenges like a hostile environment for living out your faith, or just the challenges that are thrust on you as a part of life that you didn't ask for, you didn't plan for, and you wish would go to somebody else. And we're going to talk about how the gospel gives us a living hope, and we're going to do that by hanging out in a book called First Peter. So if you have that sermon sheet I mentioned a little while ago, I'd encourage you to pull it out. And here's our big idea for this morning. Before you learn or do anything new, pause and remember what is true. Before you learn or do anything new, pause and remember what is true. Today I mentioned we're going to dive into the book of 1 Peter, and I want to give you a little bit of an introduction to that book. Uh, in, in the book of 1 Peter, we, we find a book that was written by the Apostle Peter in the year 63 to 64 AD. Peter was one of the closest disciples of Jesus, and he wrote this letter in about 30 years after Jesus had died, been crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. He writes this letter to a group of scattered Jesus followers who were living in modern-day Turkey. They had been sent out from their homes, and they had been scattered likely by persecution down in Jerusalem and Judea, and they were living in five areas of Turkey. This is modern-day Turkey. And it, the, the areas were then, in 2,000 years ago, described as Asia, Bithynia, Galatia, Pontus, and Cappadocia. Those people were experiencing localized persecution and threats. This wasn't the beginning of Nero's persecution of the church or Diocletian or other Roman emperors. These, this was a localized problem, but it was real and challenging. And for them, they were experiencing hostility and adversity. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them, to uplift them, to instruct them, and to remind them of their hope. So as I mentioned, we're going to be in 1 Peter today. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to 1 Peter. It's very close to the back of your Bible. If you go to Revelation, Shun, Revelation, not Shuns, Shun. If you go to Revelation and then you go towards the front, you'll get to 1 Peter pretty quickly. As you can tell, there's a 1 Peter, there's also a 2 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to dive into the first 12 verses this morning. If you're new to Cornerstone, we honor God's word in our church. We surrender to it and submit to it, and we stand often when we read it. Beginning in verse 1, this is what we read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. That's where the sermon title comes from. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be, re ready to be revealed in the last time. 
You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible, glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you have not only placed us in this time and in this season with these challenges, you have not left us alone. I pray for my friends in this room who may be experiencing that hostility, adversity, and suffering today. I pray that you would remind them what is true this morning and strengthen their souls. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Today, as we begin this series, I want to begin to build where we're going to go over the next 10 weeks. And I'm going to do that by sharing with you the three building blocks of Peter's message. Remember the big idea. Before we go and learn and do anything new, we're going to pause and remember what's true. So we're going to remember three things this morning. The first one is we're going to remember who we are in Christ. If you're facing a season of challenge, difficulty, adversity, if you're in a moment and you're like, I didn't ask for this, God didn't consult me, and this is really honestly you know, to be blunt, freaking hard. Peter would say to you, first, remember who you are in Christ. Now, I don't assume that everybody in this room is a Bible expert. I don't assume that you spend all of your time building up your, your game for biblical trivial pursuit. But I'm a nerd, and that's what I do. So I want to remind you and tell you what's interesting about First Peter Peter begins the same way Paul does. If you're familiar at all with the name Paul, Paul is the, the writer of the majority of the books we have in the New Testament, the second section of the Bible. And both of them begin their letters the exact same way. And we see this in 1 Peter. What Peter does is before he begins to list off all the things they need to do, all the things they need to learn, all the places they're screwing up, all the places that they're missing it, he starts right here, with who they are in Christ. Both Peter and Paul give us identity before activity. Both Peter and Paul start with our being before we get to our doing. And both Peter and Paul, maybe Mary too, but she didn't write any books in the Bible, they both give us who we are. Thank you for that sympathy laugh. Um, they both give us who we are before what we do. And this is really important. By nature, many of us default right into activity. 
we default right into what to do. Maybe you're listening to somebody tell you a problem, and you can't even listen because you already have the fix-it in your mind. If that's you, you need to hear this. Because what Peter is saying is, hey, you're going to face adversity, you're going to face hostility, you're going to face hard times, and before you think about solving them, pause and remember who you are. And there's a reason for this. Because if they don't remember who they are, if you don't remember who you are, every day when you walk into the world, the world will certainly tell you who the world thinks you are. And often you don't think it's happening, you don't see it happening, but you wear it. You wear it. I was told when I started speaking publicly, you should never turn your back on the audience, but I like to break rules. So, um, none of you, or most of you, didn't see that with my back. I intentionally didn't turn around up until now. You had no idea that I had been labeled, but certainly on the back, I am covered in what I wrote this morning are the things that I feel the world tries to label and identify me as. And here's the thing, you can skip a day of reminding yourself of who you are. But the world never skips a day. Your enemy never skips a day. And that's why you have to remind yourself of who you are in Christ every single day. And this is what Peter does when he begins this book. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in these five places, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. He reminds them who they are. He says, you are chosen. Translation, you didn't go looking for God. God came looking for you. You didn't start with choosing God and then said, God said, well, you know what? They chose me. I might as well choose them. No. God pursued you. And he chose you. And he gave Jesus for you. And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said, while we were still sinners, while we wanted nothing to do with God, God sent his son, and he chose that his son might die for us. Then he says, guys, you're exiles. You are exiles from where you lived, and now you are finding yourself on the margins of society as followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus in the first century were looked on as weirdos. You know, it was like you're back in middle school and somebody put a sign on your back, you know, and everybody else saw that sign but you, you know? If you remember that trauma, maybe you lived through that. That's a small taste of what the early believers experienced. They were exiles. And friends, this is a word you need to get familiar with. Because I believe more and more followers of Jesus living in the West in the 21st century are going to be seen as exiles. Now, I know you, many of you who are a lot older than me, you grew up in a different era. You came of age in a different era where Christianity was mainstream. There was a church at the center of the town square. But friends, that, that era is over. It's gone. And this is why we're reading First Peter, because we can learn from these people who were exiles who were dispersed and scattered about 
how it was God was calling them to live, but first and foremost, we're going to remember who we are. And what, what Peter does here is so amazing. He, he fleshes out their identity in light of the Trinity. As followers of Jesus, as believers in the Bible, we believe that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is one and God is three, without either one of those canceling each other out. And we see this, if your Bible is still open, in verses 2 and 3. We see that they were chosen by the Father. Now, for those of you who are like, Scott, I, I thought I had free will. I thought I had a choice. I'm not here today to solve the 500-year-old question of Calvinism versus Arminianism. As a church, we don't have a, a dog in that fight. Some of you who are here are Calvinists. Welcome. Some of you who are here are Arminians. Welcome. Some of you are like, Scott, why did you stop speaking English? What are these words? You're welcome too. But what we see clearly from 1 Peter is what I said before, is that God is the initiator. God pursued you. And before you ever responded to his grace, he chose you. Then we see that we're sanctified by the Spirit. What that means is that once God chose you and you responded to that and you experienced salvation in his name, the work wasn't done. When you were saved and baptized, you were not immediately a righteous and holy person. I'm not looking at anybody today who was a completely righteous and holy person, and you're looking at someone who was not a righteous and holy person yet too. We're in this ongoing work of transformation and sanctification. That's what the Spirit does in us. And then finally, he says, we're saved by the blood of the Son. Your future hope is not in you being a good person. I'm glad you're here today. Maybe you gave an offering today. Maybe you're going to go to a community group this week. Maybe you're going to put your recycling out tomorrow. You know, maybe you drive a Prius. You know, like maybe you, 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 you know, you don't waste fuel. Maybe, I don't know what you do to make yourself a good person. Those are all good things. But that's not how you're saved. There's one way you're saved. By the blood of the Son. And so what Peter is saying is, hey, guys, we got a lot of work to do, and we got lots of challenges, but before we start learning or doing anything new, don't ever forget who you are, because that's the foundation of everything. I'm a big quote guy. You guys know this. When it comes to who we are, one of my favorite quotes is from Charles Bukowski. He says, can you remember who you were before the world told you who you should be? Friends, you didn't all walk in like me today, but all of you have—you got a jacket, and it's covered in labels. Parents, teachers, coaches, neighbors, spouses, children, bosses, employees, neighbors, friends. You got lots of people, <laughs> and then now because of this, you got lots more people telling you who you should be. So before you do anything else, you have to come back to who Jesus says you are. You will not survive the hostility without it. So, big idea. I'm going to pound it into your head today. Before you learn or do anything new, pause and remember what is true. Second thing you got to remember is you got to remember why you have hope in Christ. You got to remember why you have hope in Christ. And after Peter reminds us of who we are, he then goes next to why we have hope. If your Bible is still open, go to verse 3 of 1 Peter 1. 
he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, remember, he moved first. You didn't go first. He went first. Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. Not through our goodness, our good deeds, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let me break this down a little bit. He says, you have been given a new birth into a living hope. As followers of Jesus, we don't have a dead hope in the past. We don't just have a present hope or an assumed-to-be-experienced hope in the future. We have a living hope. It's got a beating heart just like you do. It's alive and well just like you are. And this is really important because I don't know about you, but when I get in the middle of something hard, if I forget why I should keep going or why I should have hope, I'm just as vulnerable to you as you are to discouragement, despair, disappointment, and giving up. And that's why we have to come back to why we have hope and our why, and that why is through the resurrection of Jesus. And let me encourage you. It's been about five months since Easter. If you're still eating your Easter candy, please throw it away. There's plenty of Halloween stuff at the store. Go buy some new stuff. But as stale as your Easter candy could be, if you're still snacking on it today, for a lot of us, our sense of wonder and awe at the resurrection of Jesus is just as stale. You know, everybody wears crosses around their necks. Like, the cross is the symbol of our faith. But, but the resurrection is actually the essential building block of our faith. Like, if Jesus hadn't resurrected, none of us would have ever heard about him. And none of us would wear crosses around our necks. Because before Jesus resurrected, the cross was the symbol that Rome had power, and Rome would do, go to no stopping lengths to put down power. None of you wear a syringe or an electric chair around your neck. Because that's the way that in America we do capital punishment. But the cross was how the greatest empire on earth did capital punishment. And the only reason that that's a symbol of hope is the resurrection. And the problem for a lot of us is we lost our wonder about the resurrection about as long ago as we lost our sense of wonder about all sorts of things in our childhood. And that's the reason why a lot of us, I think, have a dead hope and not a living hope. One of my prayers for this series is that you would recapture your wonder at the resurrection. Because that's the reason why these exiles on the scattered edges of culture didn't flinch in the face of the Roman Empire. It wasn't because they're, smart, they're, they're you know, smarter than you. They're not. It wasn't because they're better people than you. They're not. It wasn't that they had seen Jesus in face to face. These people in 1 Peter, Peter just said, you never saw Jesus. I did. You never heard him teach. I did. You never saw him heal. I did. But you have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, and you're not backing down. That's because they still had wonder at the resurrection. And he says, and you have an inheritance. Now, I've never gotten that check in the mail that said my third cousin twice removed died, and I have cash coming my way. 
Still waiting for that day? My grandpa was one of 13. Hopefully it'll happen at one point. But this is much bigger than that. Peter says, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You have a spiritual inheritance that this world cannot touch, including your own brokenness and your own sin. Here's the dirty little secret about following Jesus. You don't stop having weaknesses. You don't stop failing. Like, when you become a follower of Jesus, you don't magically become immune to stumbles and struggles. And yet, even your own biggest stumbles and struggles and failures cannot take away your inheritance because it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, even in the face of your best efforts. And what Peter is saying here is suffering can't touch our lives. Because the suffering that we experience on earth can't touch that why, that inheritance, that living hope, or the resurrection of Jesus. Friends, bad stuff is going to happen to you even if you think you're a good person. And things are going to get harder, not easier, for followers of Jesus living in the West in this century. Now, I know people who tell you differently tell you differently. Because prophets always want to give good news to people. Go back and read the Bible. Prophets who deliver easier messages get paid more. Prophets who deliver unpopular messages get their heads cut off. So the good news is, you have a why that can't be touched. The bad news is, lots of stuff is going to try. told you before, I quote people even when they say lots of other bad things, because often they say one thing that's good. This is Frederick Nietzsche. He says, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. And some of you know this from personal experience. You've experienced a lot of hows. In a room this large, there are a lot of hows that you have experienced and you are experiencing. But when you have a why to live for, when you have a why that you don't let go of, and when you know why you can have hope, it doesn't matter what comes your way, you can endure. And these people in First Peter experienced that. Here's the third thing you gotta remember. You gotta remember what God promised to accomplish through suffering. You need to remember what God promised to accomplish through suffering. In my research for this series, I discovered that many commentators call the book of First Peter the Job of the New Testament. Not the job. If you had those confused, go watch the first Mission Impossible movie. It'll clarify everything for you. But the book of Job. The book in the Old Testament, right before Psalms, that is the, the most well-loved book on suffering in the Bible. The book that is so direct about suffering. And 1 Peter offers us a lot of that, but in the New Testament. And there's four words that I want you to cling to today or write down about what God does through suffering. The first word is the word guarded. According to 1 Peter 1.5, you and I are guarded spiritually when we go through suffering. You are not guarded financially. 
You're not always guarded physically. You're not always guarded relationally, mentally, and emotionally. Temptation comes in all those ways. But you are guarded spiritually so that you are not spiritually in danger for eternity or alone and abandoned presently. You're guarded. And so when you go through suffering or you go through hostility, you don't go through it alone. The Spirit is with you. Romans, 5, Romans 8 says there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. He said, I'm going to leave you my spirit, and I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will be guarded. Now, you're not always going to feel guarded. You may feel like you have the worst guards in the world who are letting all sorts of stuff come through. But the promise is you'll be guarded spiritually. Second word, short. 1 Peter 1.6 says that from God's perspective, your suffering will be short. Now, I've got to remind you, God's timing and, God's, and our timing is But our life in eternity is. If you saw the world the way that God does, if you saw eternity the way God does, you would call it short too. Now, we're not going to get to this verse for 10 weeks, so I had to give it to you for the first week to keep you coming back. 1 Peter 5, 10. We'll get to this in 10 weeks. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. Can I be honest? I wish there was a period, not right here, but right here. But the only reason that God has to restore, establish, strengthen, and support us is because we've been suffering. This is the promise of 1 Peter. You will go through suffering. In God's mind and his timing, it will be short. But what he is going to do on the other side of it is he's going to restore you, establish you, strengthen you, and support you. Third word, refine. Suffering is going to leave you on the other side refined. A lot of you are wearing rings or necklaces or bracelets today that are made from precious metals. Gold, silver, platinum, those metals have been refined. How you have them on your body right now is not how they came out of the ground. They were put through intense heat to prepare them for their purpose. And you, friends, and me, are going to be put through intense heat to prepare us for God's purposes. We are going to be refined. Because the goal for a follower of Jesus is not an easy life. God's goal for you is not to give you an easy life. The goal for Americans is an easy life. But the goal for followers of Jesus is not an easy life. And this is where the nation you grew up in and its values are at odds with the faith you've adopted and the master you're following. I saw a video on social media a couple weeks ago and there was this group of four people and they were sitting at Costco, and they were saying, Jesus, please bless this food and nourish it to our bodies. And then it was a piece of one of their giant pieces of pepperoni pizza. 
And I was like, God is not going to answer that prayer. <laughs> I mean, it's going to fill your belly, but it's not going to nourish you. Friend, if you pray, God, give me an easy life, he's not going to answer that prayer. It doesn't mean that he wants you to just eat coal, you know, suffer and struggle, live out underneath a bridge. But often we forget that the things that we're praying for need to begin to align with the things that God wants. And God's purpose is not to give you an easy life. His purpose is to make you like his son. And that doesn't come through an easy life. Fourth word, sustained. I'm really encouraging you in this series to go home and read through the passage that we just preached through because I can't touch everything. But in verses 10 through 12, what we see is that Peter refers back to the prophets who wrote hundreds of years before he lived who didn't know who they were going to serve with the words they were giving and who were experiencing the sustaining power of God while they waited for their hope to be realized. And, and Peter was saying, God is going to do the same thing for you. He's going to sustain you while you wait and while you go through struggle. In fact, 25 times in 1 Peter, he quotes the Old Testament. It's once every four verses. And what he's saying is this. Those people who wrote these books, let me go to 1 Peter, I'm now writing you this letter, and if you want to be sustained as you go through suffering, put your nose in this book. You know what I love to see? I love to see duct-taped Bibles. I love to see duct-taped Bibles. You know, duct-tape W40 solves the world's problems. I love to see Bibles that are falling apart. I love to see Bibles that are falling apart. It means they've been lived in. They've been well used. If you're going to go through suffering, my 35-minute sermons once a week are not going to carry you. You're going to have to develop your own relationship with this book. The last two and a half years have been the hardest years I've ever led through. Hardest years. I think I've mentioned this in a couple different settings, but in 2020 and 2021, we saw 35 to 40% of our church flee. I love looking at your faces. But three years ago, I looked at a lot of different faces. 75% of our young families went out the door. Because it's hard to do online church in your living room with little kids. Lots of those people never said a word. And there were days that I was like the 42% of pastors in America who thought about quitting. I never moved to planning it, but I thought about it. So as I've been reading through 1 Peter, I've been reading some of my own mail. The struggle, the adversity. But on the other side of it, I have some conclusions. Would I have asked for any of that? Nope. Didn't ask for it. In fact, I asked God to end it multiple times. Would I want to do it again? Nope. Nope. Pass. But would I be who I am without it? No way. 
And I think some of you have a similar story. You're in the middle of something on the other side of something that you didn't ask for. If God had asked you, <laughs> he would have never wanted to go through it. But you wouldn't be who you are today without it. And that's why today what I came to do is I came to remind you that before you learn or do anything new, you need to pause and remember what's true. I want to give you some next steps this morning. I'll back your hand up. The first one is, I want to encourage you as you leave today to grab one of these. This is a scripture notebook. Because 1 Peter is so short, they threw in 2 Peter and Jude. What this notebook has... So on the left-hand side, it's got the scripture, and the right-hand side, it's got journaling pages. And we're giving every one of you who are here today one of these, because I don't want you to just have a relationship to my sermons. I want you to have a relationship with this book. I'm also giving you a card that tells you in advance what we're covering for the next 10 Sundays. So you can either read in advance or read after you leave. And, and I hope by the end of the next 10 weeks, somebody's is covered in duct tape. Because you lived in it enough. And so as you leave today, one of our, our hosts will pass you a copy of it. If you're watching online, hopefully we'll have enough back at our roster campus you can come by this week. If not, we'll put a FedEx order in and we'll have more for you next Sunday. But I encourage you to get one of these and dive in. Number two. I want you to rehearse your identity in Christ daily. What does it look like? I don't know. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's standing in front of a mirror. Maybe it's recording some things that are truth from God's word and putting your AirPods in in the morning and going for a walk and listening to yourself. Maybe it's reading Romans 8 every day, which is a great reminder of who you are in Christ. I don't know what you're going to do daily, but all i got to tell you is you're going to get a lot of these on your back every day. So you've got to do the work every day. And then number three, I want to encourage you to reclaim God's promises about suffering. Maybe pick one of those four words. So remember, guarded, short, refined, and sustained. Maybe pick one of those four words and reclaim that promise. That what you're going through is hard, but you're not going through it alone. That it has a purpose, and that you have a why. And that in the midst of a hostile world, you have a living hope. Would you stand and pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us enough to choose us before we chose you. We thank you that you love us enough to pursue us before we start pursuing you. And we thank you so much that we have a living hope in your son and his resurrection. I know some of my friends in this room are in the midst of tremendous difficulty. The fact that they got here or turned on their TV at home took a great act of strength. And I pray that today they would experience you sustaining them. I pray they would discover with new wonder the power of your resurrection. And I pray that this fall they would discover or rediscover the living hope they have in you. We didn't choose to be born at this time, at this place. You did. And there are some difficulties and some headwinds coming our way. 
But that's not a new story. In fact, it's an old, old story. And we pray that you would be as faithful to us and as real and active in our lives as you were for the people in 1 Peter. And on the other side of the suffering we're going through, we pray that you would restore us. You would establish us. You would strengthen us and you would support us. We lay hold of that promise today and we pray that you would never leave us alone. In your name we pray. Amen.